Welcome to the e-commerce badassery podcast, the place for scrappy female entrepreneurs who want to learn actionable steps and strategies to grow the traffic, sales, and profit in your e-commerce business. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster, a 20-year retail veteran who spent three years as the only employee of a seven-figure online store. That shit was crazy. I know exactly how it feels to do all the things, and I'm sharing everything I learned the hard way so you don't have to. I may have started this business by accident, but supporting badass bosses like you lights me the fuck up, and I am so stoked to see you grow. Are you ready, babe? Let's roll. Hello, e-commerce friends. Welcome back to the e-commerce badassery podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo-Coster. Thank you again for being here and spending your time with me. If you've been loving the podcast and find value here, I would love it if you'd share it with another e-commerce entrepreneur. This has quickly become my favorite place to support you, aside from the e-commerce badassery Facebook group, of course, and I'd love to get into as many ears as possible. Growing the podcast will be a big initiative for me in 2021, and I love your support. You babes are the best. Okay, let's get into today's episode. After working with so many e-commerce entrepreneurs, talking to other service providers, coming from the corporate space, and hanging out in a lot of e-commerce Facebook groups, I've been seeing a lot of patterns when it comes to the trials and tribulations of e-commerce owners. What I find the most interesting is that the mistakes and misconceptions are very much the same across every level of business. Whether you're just getting started or already doing multiple six and seven figures, I see these same issues coming up. So today I'm digging into the top 10 mistakes and misconceptions about running an e-commerce business. By the end of this episode, I hope you recognize which mistakes you might be making so you can flip the script and start working on it in your business. If you're listening to this in real time, you may not have a ton of extra time to focus on whatever comes up for you as we go into Q4, but I would set yourself a calendar reminder to come back to this episode at the start of 2021 for a refresher so you can make it a point to do the work. So let's hop into it. This first one is definitely more related to the newer stores, but I see it creep up for those who have already been in business for a while too. And that is the misconception of if you build it, they will come. After launching the e-commerce division of an already successful brand with a built-in loyal customer base, I can tell you this is just not true. Now, of course, having that built-in customer base helped the same as it did when I opened my brick and mortar store back in the day. I had already worked in that town and had clients who loved shopping with me and they followed me to my store. It helped for sure, but I still had to work at getting people to walk in my door the same as we had to work to get people to that e-commerce business. And one of the hardest parts of running an e-com store is driving traffic to your site. And I see this happen a lot 
with makers who either start out on Etsy and want to build their own Shopify store, or if they're trying to decide whether they should launch on Etsy or Shopify, for instance. And after years of so many drop shipping businesses talking about building a Shopify store and all the money they made without holding inventory, blah, blah, blah. The piece that they're not really talking about is the money they spent on Facebook ads or how much profit they actually made at the end of the day. And I think there are a lot of beginners out there that don't fully understand like Shopify is nothing more than a system to help you run your business. And it's stories like these that make me so passionate about what I do and why it's so important to me to keep it real with you and share the not so glamorous side of e-com. For those who are already in business and have been for some time, it's sometimes a rude awakening to realize that what got you to your first one or two six figures isn't what will get you beyond that. You do, of course, build some momentum along the way, but it's also very possible that you will plateau and need to start doing some next level things to continue growing. One of the ways you can do that is by focusing on SEO. It's definitely a long-term play, but it's one of the cheapest ways to get new traffic to your website. Listen to episodes six and 12 to dive deeper into search engine optimization. Number two, is trying to talk to everyone and not dialing in on your ideal customer. I know you're probably sick of hearing this, but it's the truth. I already touched on this in episode 25 when I talked about growing the no like, and trust factor, but it's still worth repeating. As a business owner, I know you want to say, whoever will spend their money with me is my ideal customer. I totally get it. I run a business too, and same. But one of the things I see that holds most of us back when it comes to defining our ideal customer is that we think if we get too specific, it means we will miss out on other sales opportunities. And while that is true to a certain extent, it doesn't mean quite what you think it means. The point of having the ideal customer is so that you have a baseline to make decisions from. When a new social media platform comes out, you want to design a new line of products or when you're thinking of what to post on social next, having that ideal customer profile to refer to helps you decide if it's the right move for your business or what types of content you should create. Does this mean if you mainly talk to women that you won't also attract men? No. Take e-commerce badassery, for instance. I flat out say in my intro, on my podcast graphic, on my social media channels that I support female entrepreneurs. Does that mean I don't have male listeners, male group members, or that I don't work with male clients? Nope. The same will be true for you. You will still get people in the peripheral of your ideal customer. So I don't want you to think of your ideal customer profile as a limiting factor to who will spend their money with you. Think of it as a tool to guide you through running your business and making your life easier. Number three is being afraid to invest. And honestly, this goes well beyond just e-commerce entrepreneurs. At the end of the day, this is a business and it does take money to make money. $100 
Now, I'm not saying you need to go broke to grow your business. Certainly not. But it is going to take some sort of investment on your part to really get this thing moving. In the beginning, it's going to mostly be your time that you're investing because you're going to be doing all the things. And then as you grow, more of your money will go to hiring out for other people to do those things. And in the beginning, I see most people, myself 100% included, wasting a lot of time trying to Frankenstein systems together instead of just investing in the right things. What ends up happening is that while we may be saving a few dollars here and there, we end up spending so much more time doing research or getting the damn things to work that when you break it all down, we didn't actually save any money. Because instead of us focusing on revenue generating activities, we are in the weeds of our business. Some of the other things I see people skimp on are investing in a mentor to help guide you along the way, to give you shortcuts and help you avoid common pitfalls. This can be especially true when what we're investing in doesn't necessarily give us an immediate monetary ROI in our business. But as you step into your role as CEO, start zooming out and look at the big picture of your business and try not to be so short-sighted. Of course, everyone's situation is different and we're all fighting our own battles. But when it comes to deciding whether or not you should invest in something, think about the long-term ROI, not just the next few months. To use an example from my own business, when I launched the e-commerce badassery podcast, I immediately invested in help for the actual production of the show. Could I have learned how to edit it myself? Sure. I'm pretty techie like that. But was that a good use of my time? Probably not. And the first team that I hired was pretty expensive, but it was a higher touch relationship and a one-stop shop with custom music and lots of handholding. I really wanted that extra support in the beginning. Now that I've been at it for a while, I've actually switched editors. It's costing me a lot less than before, but I don't need that same sort of support that I did at first. And honestly, if I hadn't made that commitment in the beginning, I probably wouldn't have a podcast right now. My point is, whatever you do invest in doesn't necessarily need to be forever. And maybe you have to make a large investment up front to gain the knowledge and skills you need that will then continue to serve you moving forward in your business. One more thing I want to touch on is paid advertising. Now, I'm a big believer that you want to prove product market fit organically before you dump a bunch of money into ads or at least start off really small just to drive some traffic to actually test that product market fit. But if you really want to grow your business quickly, paid ads should likely be a part of the equation. Can you do it all organically? Absolutely. It's just going to take a lot longer. So you have to think about what is right for you and your business and your goals and where you're trying to go and how quickly you want to get there. Number four is not managing your inventory. We're going to be going deeper into this on future episodes in the new year, but I definitely want to touch on it here. 
If you don't have inventory to sell, you can't make money. There is, of course, a delicate balance here because you don't want all your cash tied up in inventory and you don't want to sit on dead stock. But what I see more than having too much inventory, honestly, and this is especially true in the entrepreneur space, is actually not having enough or just not having the right inventory. If you are always running out of your best-selling items, this is 100% where you should start focusing. Now, of course, there are things like exclusivity and urgency that come into play here, and there is a definite time and place for that. But if you have a few items that drive the majority of your revenue and you have more evergreen product that lasts a long time in your assortment, you don't want to be running out of these. I know you can get them back with a back in stock alert. Those totally work. But not everyone on those lists are going to come back to buy. How much better would it have been if you just had it available to them when they were ready? So instead of signing up to be notified, they just made the purchase instead. This is especially true if what you sell is easily sourced somewhere else. If it's something the customer needs right now, they're likely not going to wait until you get more. They just might go buy it from someone else. There are a lot of nuances that go into inventory management. So I'm going to do a series next year to support you with this. But for now, I just want you to look at your current inventory and figure out if this is an issue for you. And if you are constantly running out of your best sellers and then trying to get more in and sending it back in stock and getting people back to buy. If that is a cycle you are stuck in, please make a plan to focus on that for 2021. Next up, relying too much on one channel or platform or trying to be in all the places and doing all the things. This one really is a delicate balance, my friends. It's going to look different for every business based on your customer, your resources, and what you enjoy doing the most. There are so many nuances here, so it's a little bit hard for me to articulate, but I'm going to do my best. So let's start with relying too much on one channel or platform. Of course, I'm sure you've heard lots of people talk about how you can't build your entire business on social media because it could all go away tomorrow. And that's why most experts in the space will tout the importance of an email list. The same can be said for businesses that run solely on Etsy or Amazon. You as the vendor don't own the platform or the customer. So if you violate their terms or they just decide they want to shut you down, they can and then you're left without a business. Another example are those product-based businesses that rely heavily on wholesale. Once the pandemic hit and brick and mortar got shut down, there was little to no business left. These, of course, are all extreme examples, but the concept is important. And when it comes to your marketing channels, this also applies. So for those who rely only on SEO, for instance, if a business is executing SEO solely for search engines instead of customers, right, one Google update can have them plummeting in the rankings. Or if you've built your entire business on Facebook ads and all of a sudden CPAs shoot up and your ads are no longer profitable, you don't have a business. It's important to diversify. 
And two of the most powerful things you can do is focus on building your email list and your brand. Your email list is owned. It belongs to you. You can take that subscriber list wherever you go. And the same goes for building a brand that people know, like, and trust. If they're already looking for you specifically, like searching your name in Google, they're likely to find you even if you do lose some Google rankings or they're going to follow you when you go to the next best social platform. Brand recognition and your email list are two things no one can take away from you. But like I said, it's a balance with trying to do too much, especially in the beginning. If you've been following me for a while, you know I started off focusing mostly on Instagram. And since I've started the podcast, I'm not quite as active on there anymore. My goal is to get back onto Instagram more regularly now that I'm full-time in my business. But once I decided that the podcast was going to be my number one focus, I had to put more of my energy there because I couldn't be in all the places all the time. And a podcast is owned media too. Now that I pretty much got the podcast thing down, I can start to diversify. So for me, I can start putting more effort back into Instagram because it was definitely helping my business. And now that I've got a bank of content on my website, thanks to all the podcast show notes, I can start to work on Pinterest. When it comes to diversifying, take it one step at a time. Go all in on one platform until you have a system and a handle on it. Once that's smooth sailing, you can start branching out to other things. Number six on the biggest mistakes and misconceptions about e-commerce is thinking email marketing is dead or not understanding its value and how to really do it right. Now, I will say this isn't necessarily true for the majority of my audience, especially because those OGs, that's what we started with, their email. But I definitely do see this pop up now and again, or like I said, people just not really understanding how to do it. I've already got in-depth content related to email marketing, so I'm not going to go too deep here. Listen to episodes two and three for more guidance on email marketing for e-commerce. But I do want to touch on a few key points about email and why it's so powerful. It still has the highest ROI of all marketing activities. It's owned media and revenue. Your list is your list and no one can take it away from you. So you should always be focused on growing and nurturing it. The next one I want to talk about is truly one of the biggest mistakes and handicaps to a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs And that's not digging deep enough into your analytics or understanding what's actually normal. So first off, if you're not already using Google Analytics, please go set that up as soon as you finish listening to this episode and make sure you turn on e-commerce tracking. It's a second step you have to do and pretty much everyone misses it. I'll put a link in the show notes that shows you how to do this if you need to get that set up. And it's really so important to use Google instead of your platform analytics because it has so much more information and you can dig so much deeper into your results and figure out what is and isn't working in your business. I know it can be a bit overwhelming at first when you first get in there, but there's so much power in understanding the platform and what that data is telling you. 
You can make much better decisions about your business when you use the data to guide you. At a minimum, start tracking your numbers on a weekly basis and then dig really deep on like a monthly and quarterly basis. I don't want you to be super reactive week to week, but it's good practice to sit down and gather those numbers regularly so you can see patterns and identify anomalies. I go much deeper into this on episode seven and provide a freebie to start tracking your metrics. So check that one out. And episode 19 covers e-commerce benchmarks so that you can actually assess your performance against the industry averages and know whether or not your site is doing well. Because what I have found is that many entrepreneurs don't realize that the average site conversion rate is only one to 3% and that the average cart abandonment rate is 68%. So you look at your numbers and you don't realize that they're actually good. So you end up focusing on the wrong things in your business. You get caught up on the design of your website and your emails or other trivial things when the truth is you just need to drive more traffic or better manage your inventory. Those are kind of the two main things that I see. When it comes to understanding your analytics, one of the most powerful pieces of information is seeing what marketing channels are having the highest impact on your business. So you can double down on what's working and pull back on those that are not. And I will tell you, if you're using Shopify, the numbers that it's telling you are not accurate. You will get much more accurate numbers in Google Analytics, and you'll be able to see not only just what platforms actually drove the final sale, but how all of the channels sort of interact with each other and how the customer has multiple touch points with you. So it's just so much more powerful. You need to be using it. Number eight on the list is giving your customers too many options. Have you ever heard about the jam experiment? I'm going to put a link in the show notes if you want to learn more about it. But essentially, they ran a comparison test at a food market. They alternated between offering 24 different varieties of jam and six different varieties. What they found was that while presenting the 24 varieties did create more interest, right? More people were coming over. It didn't result in more purchases. In fact, presenting only six varieties led to 10 times more purchases of jam. Like that's insane. That's huge. So When it comes to choice, the more options a customer has, the more overwhelmed they can be and they choose nothing. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go and cut your product assortment all of a sudden, but the paradox of choice can be integrated into a lot of different areas of your website. So for instance, your navigation bar. If you have a wide assortment of product, You might want to take advantage of a mega menu so you can keep those top level links, like the ones that are immediately visible, really pared down, and then you create groups underneath that. This is also why when creating emails, you want to keep it to one, maybe two calls to action per email. And to take this even further If you're a subscription box, having too many options like a monthly, a three month, a six month, a year, that might just be too many options for the customer. 
maybe just try a monthly and a yearly or a monthly six months a year, something like that. You don't need like every three month interval. Number nine on the list is not being clear enough. And this has a couple of different applications too. So just the other day in the e-commerce badassery Facebook group, someone who just launched her subscription box posted her site for feedback. She had a few different subscription options, different lengths of time, right? Each listed with the total dollar amount the customer would spend for the entire length of the subscription. And she had a call out of how much they would save by buying into the yearly on paper, it seems like the right setup. I mean, who doesn't want to know how much money they can save on something? But what wasn't clear, like when I went to the website as the customer, what wasn't clear is how much is this going to cost me per month if I buy the longer subscription? Because all I could see was the total amount I would spend. One of the things I have learned in my 20 plus years in retail is that people either don't want to do math or they can't. And I blame the latter on being raised on a calculator. So I suggested that she change the focus to be on what they would pay per month with those longer subscription options. So now when I go and I look at it and if the monthly is $30 a month, I know if I buy into the yearly, it's going to be $28 a month, right? So that's much easier for my head to wrap around and understand what I'm spending. And she came back into the group and gave the update that once she made the changes, she went from no sales all day long to 15 sales. So that was a really powerful adjustment. Another way this shows up in our business is by being too clever with our product names. I will always advocate for being clear over clever. Not only is this better for SEO purposes, but it helps your customer too. And not being clear also ties into those choices we were talking about earlier, especially in regard to calls to action. Surprisingly, and I... (laughs) (laughs) being someone who hates being told what to do when it comes to like marketing and getting people to buy, they actually do like being told what to do. So when you're creating calls to action and emails and on social, make sure it's clear, make sure it's easy for the customer to understand what action you want them to take. Last but not least, number 10, is you spend too much time looking at your competitors and comparing yourself to others. You've heard me say it before, and I'm going to say it again. You've got to keep your eyes on your own paper. I talked a lot about this in episode nine, how to get more done in less time. So I'm not going to go super deep, but the short story is this is a waste of your time and it's keeping you from doing more productive things in your business. Plus, just because your competitor is doing something, it doesn't mean that it's even working for them. And it certainly doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. And like I always say, you don't actually know what's going on behind the scenes of that business. And for all you know, they're broke or are barely turning a profit. Your best bet is to lean into your customers and figure out what they want. 
Go back to your ideal customer avatar and ask yourself, what do they need from me? Another thing is, you know, when I say your competitors, these are also entrepreneurs most likely in your space. So we may be tempted to also look at big corporations, right? They must be spending so much time, energy, effort, money into testing things and market research and all of that stuff. And that may be true, but there's a lot of corporations out there who are not really turning a profit. They don't really have a lot of money and they're running in the red. And so I caution you to even look at what they're doing. It's kind of a double-edged sword there because yes, they are spending a lot of money on R&D, research and development, marketing research, all of that stuff. But there's just no guarantees that what works for another business if it is even working, is going to work for you. So while I want you to look at these things for inspiration, I want you to really, really go internal and listen to your gut and really think about your customer and your business before you actually take action. Because it's really easy to just see something and feel like, oh, I have to go do that. And then I have to go do that. And I have to go do that. And we don't really put a lot of thought into it. So I would just urge you to put on your CEO hat, really think through these things before you just start throwing spaghetti at the wall. So how are you feeling? There was a lot in this episode, I know. And don't feel like you have to fix all the things tomorrow, right? If you were listening through and you're like, oh, I do that and I do that and I do that. We're all a work in progress. Soak it in identify which of these you need to work on, come back at the beginning of the year and tackle them one by one. And that, my friends, is a wrap. If you found this helpful and you know another e-commerce entrepreneur who needs to hear this, please, please share it. I'd be forever grateful. And until next time, I'll see you on the flip side. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking to surround yourself with more product entrepreneurs who totally get your life right now, get your booty on over to the e-commerce badassery Facebook group. Can't wait to see you there. Until next time, e-commerce friends, stay badass.